Welcome back to Brojo Online. I got something really special for you today. I had a podcast interview with a guy named Jacob Skidmore. He goes by the handle The Nameless Narcissist on YouTube. Jacob is a man who's been diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder. He's what you would call a self-aware narcissist. Now the word narcissist gets thrown around all the time these days and very few people actually know what it means. They just use it to describe anyone they disagree with or anyone who treats them poorly. What Jacob is doing is putting it out there what it really means to be a narcissist, what you need to know in dealing with a narcissist. And in today's conversation, we dig into what it is like to be a narcissistic personality, what it's like on the inside, and what it is Jacob's hoping to achieve in his life now that he's aware and working on this so-called disorder. This is a fascinating conversation, one of the most interesting conversations I've ever had. And I'm really uh, excited to share with you guys today. This is Brojo Online. Masculinity, confidence, and integrity. All right, man. So tell me. Tell me about NPD. Tell me about its relationship with you and what you want to share with people about there. Okay, so let me think. When I was, I was that di- well. See, it's always hard when I talk about my when I was diagnosed because it was first floated when I was around 15 years old because I had I had like very serious anger issues, and I was made to go into therapy because of a particularly violent uh, occurrence. I'm not going to get into that right off the bat, but I kind of ignored it at the time. Uh, if anything, I thought it made me better than other people. Uh, ironically, right? Um, and eventually, I had a relationship that went sour when I was around 20-ish or so. Um, and I ended up, I did end up cheating on her. And I asked myself, why did I do that? It's been a question I've asked myself basically my entire life. Why, why am I doing these things that obviously are detrimental to my own well-being and that seem to be at odds with almost what everybody else does? Um, so I end up going into therapy to impress another girl, if I'm being honest. Mm-hmm. Um, but it may, I stayed for that reason. Eventually I ended up, um, like after like, cause like I was there, I, when you're a narcissist and you like, you're kind of smart and I like to think of myself as kind of smart. Um, you kind of learn that in order to get the validation and stuff that you need that acting narcissistic typically doesn't get that reaction so i like hid my grandiosity which is like the telltale sign for like a year maybe two um and i remember one day i was complaining about some of my friends or something because i felt misunderstood by them and i just kind of sat back and chuckled and my therapist was like what and i was like well it's (laughs) i I was literally i said something on the lines of like well, I mean, it's, it's, I don't blame them though. Cause they're all so fucking stupid. And, uh, she was like, wait, what? And I went on like this grandiose tirade being like, well, they all complain that I act like I'm better than them, but I mean, look at them and look at me, see how smart I am, stuff like that. And I remember just laughing out loud as I'm about to leave being like, oh, that felt good. Uh, and that's around the time I was diagnosed like officially, cause I just kind of let all that crap out. Mm. Um, at first, and at first I was kind of like confused because I was like, I hate myself. How could I be a narcissist if I lack any of that self-love, right? I think I'm better than people, but also I hate myself. Um, and I come to learn eventually as I, because I wanted to understand myself, so I deep dove into all the information out there. And effectively what narcissistic personality disorder is and what people miss is that it's not about the grandiosity. It's not about thinking you're better than people. It's not about abuse. It's about that because of this self-loathing that we have, we're constantly going out trying to seek outside affirmation just so we can kind of prop that up. And so we're going to act like very like above people, very grandiose, very domineering. So people will give us that feedback of, yes, you're powerful, you're worth something, you're above people even. Um, it just in that desperate bid to try to not feel like crap all the time. I can go from between being super grandiose and like thinking I'm better than everybody to like these intense vulnerable states where I feel like I like that self-hatred just is 
boiling in me and I'm like very paranoid and kind of lashing out and I just am like super depressed and stuff like that. Um, and that can even drive people with my disorder when they get into those states to like things like suicide. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how I would describe how I got diagnosed and what narcissism really is as a disorder. One of the reasons I love these kinds of conversations is because whenever you dig into anybody's unique rare diagnosis, all you hear is just normal human traits, just yeah. dialed up maybe, or perhaps skewed towards a certain, I don't know a single person who, you know, that I've dived in deep with whose self-identity is not grandiose. But yeah. even if they say I'm a loser, there's a kind of, heroism in it yeah, there is yeah uh, the that's something i actually say a lot because it's like there's a grandia there is a what like let's say somebody like i've seen a lot of people describe themselves as like oh a monster let's say take that word monster there's power in that there's a lot of power in that word and obviously they're being self-deprecating but that in itself is still grandiose absolutely and this is what i think this might be one of the reasons that the term narcissist gets thrown around so much is because so many people can actually, at least in moments, um, live by those traits and, and act on those traits. Yeah. Oh, I certainly have. Uh, it's also interesting, you know, the part you're talking about kind of noticing that you sabotage a relationship and going, why the fuck would I do that? It's not in my best interest. Every single person yeah. I know does things that are not in their best interest. Exactly. You know? everyone has so much self-reflecting to do to really understand themselves to that level. And maybe narcissists have more work to do in that, but it's a struggle that everybody has. Absolutely. Um, so that's, I, I just find that really fascinating. I wasn't really expecting you to, you know, portray any traits or, or views that are totally alien to humanity or anything like that. Yeah. Um, I even think sometimes I used to work with some schizophrenics, they hear voices i'm like yeah. doesn't hear voices they just hear them louder you know and they think it's somebody else Ooh, that's a really good way to describe it yeah um i mean hell i have a friend who's schizophrenic and she you would never even know if it weren't for the fact that like she'll talk about it sometime or get sometimes she'll have a really bad paranoid ideation but like or like she'll like be startled by something but at the end of the day it's not like these depictions that you see of the mentally ill where it's like oh they're basically they're unfathomably like different from people. Yeah. Look, I've, I've been to forensic mental health, like criminally insane. And I'm still yet to find people that are somehow not human in their traits. They're just extreme perhaps, or consistent, mm. inconsistent as it, as it sort of suits. Uh, so it's, it's almost a kind of irony for someone with NPD to be so forthright and transparent because mm. apparently you're not supposed to do that. No, <laughs> right, right. That's be totally Machiavellian and manipulative, manipulative all the time. And it's slightly possible that even the honesty is that, but then of course everybody could be doing that to some extent. And it's interesting because like a big part of narcissism is the hiding the self, right? We're trying to portray ourselves. We're like hiding everything we really think about ourselves because we find it shameful. And basically, and that's where you hear like mirroring and stuff like that, because we're going to be trying to match people's personalities to get them to like us. Um, gosh, what, where was I going with that? But, um, oh yeah, but. And I'm, and I never lie about this, but part of my motivation in doing what I do is for attention and for people praising me for my honesty. So I guess you could say it's manipulative of me to do that, but it's also not my only motivation. And also, even if it was, I find it to be a much better way to get that than some of the other avenues that I could have taken. You know, I, I often get into discussions with people about what qualifies as kind of negative manipulation considering we're all manipulating all the time. And I think you just demonstrated yes. one of the ways to get out of that question is to make sure that whatever strategy you do have is revealed. Yes. So even if you're doing it for selfish reasons, which really I think we all are all the time, at least if you <laughs> say that's why I'm doing it, it's neutralized. I can't do harm. It's like you said. That, and that's, 
You're getting what you That's want. That's something I say all the time is that manipulation doesn't have to be intrinsically bad. It can be used for ways that are pro-social, so to speak. I can use, I can manipulate people into, <clears throat> and I, <clears throat> I try not to nowadays because I feel like it's taking away, I recognize that it's like taking away from somebody's agency. And I personally, and personally, I can see why that would be a quote unquote bad thing. Um, but that being said, I have never left the view that manipulation has to be bad. Right. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's let's uh, keep diving in and get a little deeper on this. Um, I mean, one of the first things I really, like I said, I'm curious about is how you wind up, you know, going from obviously quite painful experiences and self-sabotage through to therapy kind of by accident, right? Yeah. Press someone you go, oh, shit, this is actually helpful. Um, through to, yeah, like you said, what, what what's the inspiration for you going online and, you know, letting everyone see? Exposing what, myself, so to speak. Yeah, and everyone um, got your diagnosis, for that matter. Yeah. Um, it's... So this, so like there was two things that really played into that decision where the first one was I was in a very bad point in my life and I just needed somewhere to vent. And, you know, again, attention even at this point was a motivation too. But I was like so frustrated by the fact that I felt like nobody really understood me because of the differences in my cognition and some other people's. Um, and so I was just kind of desperate for a place to do that. And at the same time, as I was kind of researching my disorder and finding other people that do struggle with it and are trying to better themselves, how like we, like many people, uh, in my communities would come under a law of harassment, even though they're trying to work on their themselves. And it would frustrate me so much because I'm like, these people don't have an accurate view of what we go through or what this disorder is. And so I really went in, I did, one of my motivations going into it is I want to destigmatize. I want to show people this isn't what they think it is. Yes, we can hurt people. Like I'm never going to deny that. And I think it's important for people with my disorder to recognize that we can be hurtful uh, to because we need to avoid that. But at the same time, it's not like we're these evil mustache twirling villains <laughs> going around being like, I'm going to take advantage of all these people and I'm going to ruin their lives or whatever people think that we do um it's that we're desperately trying to get our needs met and we kind of trample on people um to those ends without most of the time without even realizing it now that's a, again there's nothing you're saying that doesn't apply to pretty much everyone in some way you know it's quite my, my sort of target market i guess with coaching is what i call nice guys and people pleasers Mm, yeah. a lot of the times they would be behavioral wise on the opposite end of the spectrum they do the opposite of trampling people they allow themselves to be trampled if anything mm -hmm. self-sacrifice and stuff and yet it's all done with self-serving manipulation as a motive yeah. and quite often quite deep, like you imagine someone who people pleases their way into a relationship that lasts for 10 years they mm. steal 10 years from someone by being fake i mean how's that not yeah. yeah honestly I feel that's almost more messed up than what I do. <laughs> yeah. Well, yours is kind of short and sharp, right? And you know, yeah. perhaps, you know, the person who's more kind on the, the front end uh, does more damage in the back. I don't know. Uh, but the idea that you're somehow doing something that's alien or unusual uh, or other people can't relate to it and they can isolate your group and say they're evil, uh, that just doesn't yeah. quite line up with truth of they're, they're practicing a lack of empathy there <laughs> right. Ironic, right well let's let's uh, i mean let's touch on your views on some of the kind of ideas that come up for most people around narcissism words like evil words like psychopath words like you know uh, totally unconscientious or whatever you know no feeling no empathy tell me about yeah, your views on that shit it, it, well, I want to start off with saying for people that don't have accurate views of my disorder, I don't really blame them for people that even people that like throw around the term because you go on the Internet, you're going to find all, all sorts of bull crap. Like you're not going to find um, reliable information and unless you go really deep. And I can't blame people for not going that deep into it because, I mean, like at the end of the day, who really cares? They have their own mind. <laughs> um, um, 
But I think the most damaging thing that I really to that I really hate is like the inherent uh, pathologizing of abuse. It's like because they're mentally ill, they're abusing a bunch of people, and they are inevitably going to abuse people. I do think that at certain severe ends of the disorder, it, you could make the argument that it's more inherent. And I would argue that because of our emotional dysregulation, um, we when we're not actively working on those things, and I don't even think you have to be an aware narcissist to start working on these things, mm-hmm. but you will end up hurting people. But so does everybody. Um, the issue becomes when we refuse to take re- accountability. Uh, in terms of the non-feeling stuff, there, it's it's so much more nuanced than just, I don't feel emotions, obviously. Like, I feel anger. Obviously, that's an emotion. Um, there are ones that I lack, though. Um, I don't feel guilt. I'm not, but like, and I'm not sure how many, if this is universal narcissism. I feel a lot of shame, but I don't feel guilt. And I think that comes from the preoccupation with myself. Uh, I can't really consider, and because like, I can't feel that I am my actions. It's, that's a whole thing that, um empathy i don't necessarily understand uh the idea that you can feel somebody's emotions by just like witnessing them like i can uh i would say i can sympathize with people to a certain degree i can't i don't really understand empathy though um remorse i'm not sure that i feel so like there so there are some truths to this right these traits do sometimes make it easier to hurt people but it's more but again it's more due to our own preoccupation our focus on ourselves and our own needs, making sure that we get our needs met because, you know, we are in a lot of pain all the time um, rather than any sort of malicious act. They're more of just byproducts of the fact that I'm not that like, I'm not happy, I guess you could say. (laughs) Would it be fair to sum up then that like whatever harm you do to others is a byproduct of a different goal. Like you're trying to, as you might say, getting your own needs met, but primarily harming others is not the goal. No, not at all. Like I can, like one of the symptoms is interpersonal exploitation. It's never like I'm trying to get money from them. It's never like I'm trying to steal from them. It's like for a good example of this is I date somebody for status, which is exploitative, right? But it's it's not because I'm trying to like abuse and use this person it's because i feel like i need to date somebody who has status in order to feel better about myself right so if you got your needs met and it didn't harm the other person you wouldn't need to add to that to make sure they also got harmed sort of thing exactly i mean what would be the point of harming the person right so it has to serve the goal it can't be just Mm -hmm. the pleasure of it itself i mean i've worked with you know i worked with some of the worst of the worst in terms of violent and sexual criminal offenders and uh, there is a category that i'd say is some sort of objective evil and it's a very small slice but these are people whose primary motive is they get their pleasure yeah. from other people suffering and I, i'm sure there's some narcissists that are like that yeah um but it's not a staple disorder there's sadism isn't sadism isn't even a something you can find in the dsm right. um you like sadism is just this like whole other thing because if this person's only problem is that they enjoy hurting other people well since they're not suffering that's not a mental condition that's just their pieces of shit more or less yeah well i actually wonder how much you can enjoy someone else's suffering if you don't have empathy if you can't like feel that Mm -hmm. as well if you're just watching a movie then what do you get i don't know i don't know Uh, but it is good to make this distinction because a lot of people will assume you know, it's the hostile attribution bias. They're assuming that you're actually trying to cause harm as a primary motive. No, not at all. Actually, uh, it's kind of more like a bull in a china shop kind of thing. Mm. Harm will be done to get what you need. Uh, it's yes. interesting. I want to hear your distinction on shame versus guilt. So maybe we should start with some Ooh. definitions because this is pretty important stuff. Yes. Um, when you say so... you feel shame but not guilt, what do you mean? Um, so I, I want to point out that this is going to be different. I, I'm pretty good at articulating it nowadays, but I narcissists have a lexicon. You know, we can't recognize our emotions. It's very hard for us to be able to discern them. Okay. Um, so may, maybe maybe a narcissist isn't the best person to ask. But um, usually, from what people describe, is guilt is an emphasis on the action. It's like, oh, I did a bad thing. 
while shame is I'm a bad person because uh, I'm a bad person. Like it's more focus on self, more self-loathing. Um, ironic, I'm not sure if this is appropriate to talk about, but I did feel guilt once, but I was tripping on shrimps. Um, and it was because I wasn't able to tell a difference up until that. Well, or I was doubtful about that there was a difference until that happened. And I was like, whoa, I've never felt an emotion so other focused, I guess you could say. Because um, with shame, it's just, I'm a bad, terrible person because I did this thing or something like that. Cool. I mean, that's my understanding of the difference between those terms as well. Uh, but they're, they're actually quite gray-lined in between because quite often people are ashamed because of, they feel guilty. And so mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, they and they can serve the same function, I would argue, in a lot of cases. Yeah, well, I, uh, I wonder how many people are actually confident enough to feel bad about what they did without feeling bad as a person. And, uh, yeah, that would be interesting to explore. But it's, I've always... I mean, I've worked with a lot of people who are high on the psychopathic spectrum and watching them as they, as you say, struggle to describe an emotion they can't feel. I guess it's well, essentially observation-based, isn't it? You're kind of guessing what it must feel like based on what you see. Yeah, and it's and like back when I was unaware, especially, it was especially hard because I would, it, it, I guess it's projection to some degree of, I would assume they would feel the same thing I would in those situations. So let's say they, let's say they felt guilty, but I would feel shame in that situation. I'm like, oh, this must be guilt because of how they would be acting and stuff like that. But since I'm feeling different emotions in the moment and because I can't discern the emotions on my own, I was completely wrong in a lot of cases. Interesting. You know, it's really fascinating stuff. For me personally, it isn't so much that, it's more numbness. So it took me a while to, mm. like the feelings I get are very uh, slight. Uh, so yeah. They're there, but like I've got to look for them. Uh, nowadays yeah. I'm in touch with them, but for a while there I felt I was just apathetic for 90% of the day. I was like apathetic mm. and depressed. Those are like my two states. Uh Interesting, because I think a lot of people would assume that somebody who's narcissistic uh, is completely alien to the concept of shame, that grandiosity is a form of confidence. It sounds like you're more saying that the grandiosity is more like uh, perhaps arrogance, like superiority, but without high self-worth. Yes. Um, I, I always say that I can be grandiose, but grandiosity is not the same as self-compassion or self-love right. um narcissists view the world in terms of like better and worse than like everything i'm always comparing to other things just to basically make sense of them uh and people are no exception i view everybody on this hierarchy of better than or worse than me um i think the almost the most almost the most intolerable thing would be seeing somebody as equal but i can't even comprehend the idea of people being equal if that makes sense like that there's um like that because every in my mind it's like everybody has their own sets of values that can be basically categorized and then those values can be weighted and then there's always going to be somebody on top of the other um and when you're grandiose you think that you're on top of everybody when you're vulnerable you think you're uh worse than everybody when it comes to flipping between grandiose and vulnerable states of narcissism. Uh, but the, but there's no self-compassion there when, even when I'm grandiose, my inner dialogue, if like, let's say I mess up at something is you're so stupid. Why did you do that? You're better than all these people. How could you allow yourself to do that? You're stupid and stuff like that. It's still the self-hate still there. It just doesn't come off as self-hate because I'm also acting better than everybody. That's pretty interesting, man, because it almost sounds like the grandiosity becomes something that you whip yourself with. Like the way you said you should be better than mm-hmm. this because you're better than everyone. It mm-hmm. actually becomes a punishment on yourself, a, a standard yeah. you don't meet, like a high standard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's never good enough. Right. So everyone who's watching this knows what not feeling good enough is all about. Yeah. Um, so the idea that you're so different to everyone is, I don't know, it's not so true. <laughs> Kind of ridiculous, yeah. Yeah, like I said, there's still nothing you've said that is completely alien, but perhaps mm-hmm. the 
extremities or maybe it's more than not what's not there uh so like you said, i would yeah i would say it's a combination of what's not there and also the links i'm going to go to to get these needs met and the fact that like uh, other people everybody has narcissistic traits obviously they can be narcissistic in certain situations like let's say uh i don't know they won the um they got a promotion at work and they're going to be rather grandiose about that they're going to be very confident right but for narcissists we only have our narcissism to work with um i once heard it described as you have a you have a shed with a bunch of tools, right? You have a hammer, you have um, a wrench, et cetera, et cetera. But then narcissists only have like half those tools because we're so confined to like our narcissistic drives and urges. Interesting. So, yeah, so it's like what's lacking, then you got to double down on what is there in a sense, make most of what you do have. Yeah. Yes, it's really fascinating. Uh, and like I said, there's some things I relate to and other things are not so much that I guess this is where the empathy thing becomes interesting uh, because, you know, a lot of this conversation on a uh, transition into, you know, where you're at now and how you manage yourself now. And I think I'm reading between the lines. You're a less harmful person than you were. So I want to figure out how, yes. how you actually uh, kind of manage that practically, because I'm assuming you still don't have empathy, right? Not a, yeah, no, <laughs> I, I, I still don't understand it to this day. Right. Which is kind of like uh, missing a leg. Like it's not going to grow back because yeah. uh, the brain's dark or something. To, to my knowledge, like I, I think the jury is still out how much I can develop it. Um, I, I do want to point out though, like something interesting that a lot of people don't know, according to a study um, called like the pre prevalence instability of, uh, NPD over a two-year treatment period or something like that. Only 44% of narcissists actually lack empathy, uh, which I think is fascinating. Um, I'm one of the unlucky ones in that case. <laughs> or, or lucky. I'll be honest. Sometimes I think that my lack of empathy may be um, beneficial. Um, but I have been able to kind of, despite not I learned very well how to fake it. You know, like one of the things I do for attention and to be praised is I act as a like therapist in quotes to my friends. It's like I give them this advice that's relatively speaking pretty objective and like I would say pretty good. And then they praise me and thank me because they're like, oh, my God, you're so wise. You're so like good at talking about this stuff, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's like a transaction that really benefits everybody, despite the fact that I'm missing a component that most would associate with the interaction like that. Well, like you said, yeah, the benefits there. I mean, I, I have it in coaching. There's a kind of learned psychopathy I have to apply in coaching. I, I had it when I was working with criminal offenders, surgeons, police. They can't feel, you know, who they're working with is feeling. Like, if I'm a surgeon, I can't be concerned about the well-being of my patient while I'm cutting them or my right. arms are going to start shaking. Like I need to see just a yeah. piece of meat on the table, anything else, and I'm just going to fall to pieces. Um, exactly. We see this. People who, who burn out and say the therapy trade uh, are the ones who feel too much. Mm. They, they're not distanced yeah. enough. They can't detach. And I do wonder, I'll be interested to see where this goes in the future if there isn't a kind of a workaround we're acting as if, not faking, but acting as if an empathetic person would act, would actually generate mm. a system of genuine empathy in some kind of like a cobbled together way. I don't know. Yeah. But I thought of an example. Somebody, it was Louis C.K., the comedian, was talking about how the internet has made us all a lot more narcissistic because you can't see the pain on the other end. Right? So. Yeah. I bully someone online and I just feel good for being this nastiness to get in the darkness out of it because everybody's got it. And I don't see any pain. I don't see it. It's just a screen in front of me. Uh, there's no feedback loop. Whereas if I go to a real person and call them a nasty name, see their like face crumple up and go, Oh God, I know that feeling, which is, yeah. okay, fuck, I don't like making people feel like that. That's a horrible feeling. I know that feeling. And then I almost, well, really against my will, 
it would be very hard for me to repeat behavior like that if I feel that empathy. Empathy becomes essentially a leash because mm -hmm. I can't do that to people without going through what they're going to go through. So it's like if I stab someone and it feels like I'm being stabbed, I'm going to stop stabbing people, right? It's the same yeah. with assaults or bullying or manipulation. So a lot of people with empathy, that's how they're managed. They have a leash of, I can't do that to them because I'll feel bad. That's yeah. surprisingly uh, self-centered. You know, uh, there's very few people who say, you feel bad and that will stop me even though I don't care about it. So talk us through a little bit. How is it that you manage your behavior to be less harmful than you were without that leash? Well, my leash is um, needing to be affirmed and liked and also shame. Um, I, I can't go around. I mean, and also there's no like there's no benefit to hurting people in my mind, right? At least just unprovoked. It's like why like but the lack of empathy does play into when I'm desperately trying to get those needs met. And then it's like, oh, well, I don't have that leash. So I might trample over people a lot of times, not even knowing, um, but, uh, or like assuming that they would react like I would, which usually isn't the case. Um, but I do, but like, let's say I'm confronted on bad behavior. I'll feel like very intense shame because of the judgment and the, what is being said about my character and stuff like that. Uh, so it does act as a leash per se, I guess. And for me, it's like, it can be a very, and it may be, it's an unhealthy degree of shame because it can be debilitating. I once got um, criticized for something at work and it wasn't even like, it wasn't even a big deal. I don't want to get into it because I hate thinking about it, but I was so ashamed that I literally drove home and hid in my room for the rest of the day. Um, so that shame avoidance becomes I would say it becomes an even stronger leash in a lot of instances, a leash that can, a leash that's kind of strangling you every now and then. Right. Um, cause, cause I do question it sometimes. It's like, um, what would be a more effective leash? This something that inspires self hate or something that inspires, um, an equal amount of emotional reaction to whoever you hurt and stuff like that. Yeah, well, I, I think we're looking at two leashes that, you know, the empathy leash is actually kind of a fragile one itself uh, that can easily, easily lead mm -hmm. to shame. For example, people might start being dishonest because their honesty offends other people and the empathy hurts them. And yet actually being honest mm -hmm. is best for everybody involved. You've got to like blast through that fragile reaction. Uh, so that leash, the empathy leash, I mean, I work with people who are absolutely imprisoned, like pinned to the ground by that leash. They can't move. They can't hurt anybody. They can't even risk it. No matter whether it's, they've done something objectively harmful or the other person's just too sensitive or whatever. So they're absolutely tied down by it. It sounds like your current workaround is either it's just impractical, like the result of harming people just doesn't serve your interest anyway. It's, yeah. it doesn't help in terms of a transaction. It's a poor way to transact that exactly. deeply. Or I mean, it's again, yeah. I mean, what's the point? Why would I go out of my way to hurt people when all I want is to be liked and to be admired or to, um, uh, or to avoid shame and stuff like that. Those are all just like, I want to avoid hurting people just because, Again, like I can't see a reason that somebody would, uh, unless you're like actively sadistic for whatever reason, I can't see a, any sort of real Machiavellian purpose in hurting someone unless it's like as a, well, I guess, I guess, I guess when I think about it, uh, would you consider vengeance a sort of sadism? I guess if there's pleasure in the pain of the other person, then certainly. Yeah, probably because I, I always described it more as like a satisfaction. It feels just um, and that can be problematic. Uh, I've had to really learn to rein in myself in that way. Ask myself, like, OK, what could they're like? Not everybody works for the same reasons I do. What could they have possibly been trying to achieve by this hurt? Was it purposeful, which maybe the purposefulness uh, is irrelevant, whether vengeance should be sought. I, I would argue vengeance should never be sought. But there is a pleasure in what I perceive as what I and I avoid it nowadays, obviously. But in lashing back, it's like, look how look how you made me feel. You made me feel like this. 
um, which is obviously a flawed way to think, but that is the logic that goes through our heads a lot of the time. Again, very normal. I mean, the modern justice system is vengeance-based. It's you hurt, so no one will hurt you. I mean, prison is a painful place to go to. Fines are painful to pay. So it's punitive. Uh, and this, I find this really fascinating. So where you're wrestling with the, I guess, the ethics of, of vengeance, who isn't? Right? Who, yeah. If anybody takes satisfaction in the perpetrator being harmed in return, then we are in the realms of sadism in some sense. Because uh, justice and vengeance are not the same thing. If justice is balancing the scales, for example, we see in the criminal justice system that rehabilitation, reintegrating people into society, surrounding them with support, is the best way to balance the scale to lower crime. But it's actually right. a pleasurable experience for the criminal offender. And no. nobody wants them to have a pleasurable experience. So the actual the statistical best thing to do in response to crime, the just thing to do, has nothing to do with vengeance. Mm. I'm kind of digressing here, but what I'm trying to point out is, you know, your trade is all too human. The the human the mm. I guess you could say it is the worldwide absolutely accepted form of justice system is quite narcissistic. How do we get satisfaction? Mm. By harming those who harmed us. Um, so it's interesting. So you've got this kind of shame leash, knowing that if you find out you've harmed others, you'll feel bad for yourself. Is that about the gist? I would say so, yeah. I would say particularly being exposed for uh, harming others. Because well, there's been... Reputation kind of thing. Sorry, what's that? Like your reputation will be harmed by it and such. Yes, and because and because it's like intolerable for me to uh, how do I put it? It's so intolerable for knowing knowing that people had that opinion of me. Um, even if that passes, like let me like let's. Uh, I actually have a personal example there. I interviewed a woman on my uh, YouTube channel. Uh, her name's Wendy T. Berry, and she wrote a very influential book on called Disarming a Narcissist. Highly recommend it for anybody who um, needs help in that area. Um, but I did an interview with her, and I, w I flagged a bunch of YouTube videos for copyright, and I didn't notice that I flagged hers of our interview. And she emailed me basically being like, oh, like, sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. And the idea that in that moment, that she viewed me like that, that I could be that self-centered and stuff like that was so intolerable that like it bothered me. Like I couldn't sleep that night, even though I immediately emailed her back being like, that was completely an accident. Like, how do I fix this? And I did. But just knowing that in that moment, she had that feeling about me, it just crushed me for the rest of the day. Well, you're really kind of uh, throwing off the idea that you're just, this evil emperor just enjoying the pain of others without suffering yourself, which is the common view of narcissism. Mm -hmm. um, and quite an incorrect view, I know from my own uh, studies. It's nowhere close to that. Even at the highest end of the spectrum, there's generally a lot of suffering on the side of the narcissist, mm -hmm. uh, probably almost equivalent to suffering they cause. Uh, and also, as we've sort of identified, like, do you really cause more suffering than others? That's debatable. It was out in the open, yeah. an obvious. Problem. I wonder sometimes. Yeah. Well, you spoke, what I, I was interested in is the naivety. So I get the sense, and correct me if I'm sort of not steel manning what you're saying here, but the idea that a lot of the time you cause harm, and it seems like in relation to not having empathy, because either you don't see that people are being harmed, and I'm guessing you just keep going, or you assume they think like you and you wouldn't be harmed in that situation. You would accept whatever mm -hmm. your behavior was. And so you assume other people would tolerate it as well and not imagine that exactly. react quite differently. So, I mean, it sounds like what you're saying is a lot of your harm is really unintentional and actually mm -hmm. unaware. I, I would say there's, there has been times in my life where it hasn't, again, it's never for the purpose of hurting. Um, there has been times in my life where which have been comparatively very rare that i knew that i was going to be hurting somebody but for whatever reason i thought it was justified or 
like worth it or it's like there is like always this mindset of like well this is for the greater good like i'll help them out later or whatever like that that's definitely in the minority of times but yeah generally it's because i don't think they're going to be affected by it or i just don't even think about it um just because it doesn't even occur to me in that moment how it's going to impact the people around me again very human uh you know, my own uh, similarities with you, one of them is there's certain emotions I really don't feel. And one that I really don't feel is offended. Uh, like I get it as Jealous. a concept and maybe a couple of times I've been uh. insulted or something in my life. But uh, so I, I will say something offensive in the same mm, reason. I see. I would assume everybody listening is going to be fine with it because I'm fine with it. And I'd be fine with anyone speaking like this. Yeah. Disagreed with them. Uh, and I've been reminded time and again that that's not the case. Other people feel this thing called offended, and they it really hurts. They really don't like it. Um, yeah. Not really sure exactly what that feels like. I think I've had glimpses of it, like a, an anger. Maybe. I mean, that's a really good analogy. Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of people who have this. Like one of the things I wanted to ask you about. There's a couple of things that floating in my head, completely different topics. One is uh what the strengths are that you see from having this not even calling it a disorder if we were to just look at it as a different cognition what are the yeah. benefits of that i'm keen to hear a bit more about that uh, but also you know you, you're talking like you spend a lot of your time feeling grandiosity or shame but not self-love i'm really clear i'm really keen to hear if there's been any exceptions to that if there are any things they consistently give you a sense of confidence and self-love or if you're basically just floating between being better than people or hating yourself. I mean, yeah, at the end of the day, yeah, that's it. I, so we have the saying, like I, I am pretty involved in a lot of communities based around uh, pathological narcissism and like recovery. Um, we have this, we kind of get very annoyed at people who are like, oh, practice self-love because we just don't understand it uh we have this joke actually of like when people say oh you have to heal your inner child we say we don't have an inner child we have a dead one because mm. we genuinely don't understand the concept of being able to love ourselves without somebody else telling us how great we are and even then i wouldn't even call it self-love i would call it um i would call it like again just being better than other people So I, I gotta dig down on this one because this is quite fascinating, and uh, also for my own information in terms of working with clients who feature on the on the spectrum of narcissism. Mm. I mean, do you understand the concept of being proud of yourself even without outside approval or validation? So you did something, you know it's the right thing to do. Nobody else even noticed, and you feel some sort of rewarding sensation in relation to like reflecting on it. Only when I'm only when I'm imagining telling somebody else about it. Ah, okay. So you still have a yeah. kind of a, wow, that's interesting. So you imagine you're basically yeah. having like a virtual approval. It it's interesting because I my inner monologue, I don't even know if I'm like sometimes I'll try to, like I don't even really speak in my head in first person. It's always imagining it's either like it feels like everything's so performative. I feel very like that's a big thing with narcissism. Everything feels fake and it's terrible, but it's, it's either I'm imagining telling somebody about this or that there's like a narr or like I'm in a movie, like there's a narration going on about the things I'm doing or like a television show or whatever. Um, it's always, so my self-perception is so outwardly based um, my, I have a friend who is also a narcissist and she put it perfectly where she said, do you, do you understand, like, do you find it hard to understand how other people know who they are without somebody telling them? And I was like, oh my God, somebody gets it. Yes, yes, yes. Um, cause I don't know who I am if somebody isn't telling me. I saw an interview, uh, on YouTube with. I'm not sure. I think she had antisocial personality disorder and of course MPD. There's a lot of overlap there. Yeah. She said 
she feels like a gas that fills the space. So whatever the space is, she'll fill it and take that shape, but she doesn't actually have any substance herself. So she was talking about like, if she's socializing, she'll be whatever that person needs her to be. When the person goes away, she dissolves into kind of nothing. Is that what you're Very similar. Very similar. Um, very similar. Um, I, I describe it as imagine that like gaseous stuff, but instead of, I feel like a, a husk almost like that stuff is like inside my skin and the skin is trying to stay together and match the, um, and like, I need other people to kind of keep that in place to keep myself together or that gap or that crap's going to come out of me. <laughs> wow. This is really interesting. Cause on, on one hand you say shame is essentially you feel bad about yourself. And on the other hand, you don't have a self. Yes. I know it's contradictory. It's wild. Oh, who isn't contradictory, right? Yeah. But when you say, I feel bad about myself, who's the self you're referring to? I don't know. Like, this is my big, this is one of the biggest questions I get and one that I am still trying to wrap my mind around. And it might just be a limitation of, you know, language, but I don't know. <laughs> it's like, I don't feel like I'm a real person, but at the same time, I feel like an inherent. Like I, I, I've just, I've heard it described and I've, or I've described it as, as well of like, I'm, um, like, I feel like I'm like almost a broken mess of little pieces of people of like who I used to be when I was a kid, mainly like just kind of floating around in myself and those parts are bad. And maybe that's kind of what I'm trying, maybe that's what I'm trying to describe, but it, this might just be a limitation of how much I'm able to say about um my inner world in that way because it's like how do i how do i describe it in a way that does it justice especially when i don't understand what other people are their internal experiences is like i don't understand what it feels like to not feel empty hmm. um that's something that like i and like i assume uh for other people who don't feel empty that it's very difficult for them to be able to comprehend, like, what does emptiness feel like, right? Well, I do wonder, you know, I'm, I'm always keeping on the forefront of neuroscience and so on. And one of the sort of more horrible things coming out of that field is the idea of mm. self being a complete illusion. Um, the idea of consciousness being anything other than a kind of very early beta version of what it should be and so on. Yeah. Uh, long story short, I think that people who do identify as a self, as a solid unit, as a oneness, are deluding themselves because, and, and I've, I've been through this, you interview such people and like, well, what do you mean? Who are you? Who is the you you are talking about? Yeah. And they just come up with pieces, bits and pieces. Yeah. Somebody might even say something like, you know, I'm a smoker. It's like, well, what about when you're not smoking? You know, yeah. is it like, I'm an accountant. What about when you're home with your family? I'm a nice guy. What about when you're being mean? Yeah. What personality trait is truly consistent? Right. There's nothing that lasts hundred percent of the time. There's nothing that's always present. So I do wonder if in some way MPD is just an absence of ability to form that illusion and that you're actually seeing a more realistic view of the self. You, you can't, <laughs> it's funny when I was younger, I, that's why I used to, cause like, I didn't know I was a narcissist, but I mean, it was always kind of, it was kind of in the back of my head, but I just didn't really pay much mind of that. I was just smarter and more self-reflective than people. It's how I rationalized it. I told myself, no, this is how everybody is. They just don't have the, like we see, I see the world more realistically and everybody else is just deluding themselves or uh, doesn't understand what their motivations are. I, go back and forth on that nowadays though <laughs> and even if it is an illusion it sounds like a much more pleasant one to have <laughs> than reality though. yeah it doesn't sound like you're enjoying your version of it overly but i do have uh, optimism that should you continue on the path you're on you might be able to find something that works for you i'm really curious if it is possible for you to experience what i think for lack of a better word is pride you know, if I think of an example, self-love, 
self-love perhaps yeah. um, but even even if, if self-love is the opposite of shame yeah pride would be the opposite of guilt pride's about an activity a single piece of behavior so for example I, um, let's say i don't feel like doing a workout today and i'm like fuck it and just push myself and i do the workout mm -hmm. the sensation i get at the end of that where i'm like fuck yeah i did it that's the thing i'm talking about that you don't seem to be able to experience at least not yet like no not imagine somebody yeah, else going like oh, fuck, you're so good at working out or whatever right yeah play a movie um but that isn't a self reward though some people would have to do that say i'm a good person or like i'm so disciplined yeah. something they'd have to like give themselves this longevity of trait or something mm. uh whereas prior just going like fuck yeah nailed it that's what i'm supposed to do just now just here and now just this time sort of thing and i do wonder if it's possible for you to set up a system like that we i don't know might have forced at first it's, we just kind of ticked the yeah, box that was the right thing it's interesting do. um like uh, you were mentioning like the neuroscience behind it recently and there was actually a study that came out um relatively speaking pretty recently about pathological narcissism and i forget what the areas of the brain were i uh, but there was, there was two parts of the brain, one that was, uh, related to pleasure and the other that was related to positive self-regard and stuff like that. And that the interactions between those two would basically make like high self-esteem and that people with NPD actually have less of a connection there. So that we're forced to seek it from outside validation. It's almost like a physical disability, really. Yeah. I mean, I. And there, there's a couple other studies that support that there is abnormalities in the brains of narcissists and other people with personality disorders. Um, but yeah, I would, so that's, that's kind of what worries me about, will I ever be able to truly get to that point? I don't know. I don't know anything really about how much the brain can change in adulthood and stuff like that. But that is a, factor that i always kind of keep in mind of trying to limit my expectations <laughs> fair enough the optimism i have is especially because i've seen people with a lot of brain damage or stroke damage and stuff like that they the brain can do right. workarounds where it has kind of like a, a beta system that does almost the same job almost as mm. well uh using completely different part of the brain it's almost like a sort of brain graft where it just steals another part and goes, yeah, you control the hand now, even though you used to have nothing to do with the hand. Um, yeah. That can be yeah, trained. So. And I do wonder if there was some sort of behavioral way to train yourself into a self-rewarding system that doesn't require those units. I don't know. I'm just speculating. Yeah. Um, oh, that's interesting. I love it. <laughs> well, it's just ironic. I actually feel a lot of empathy for you because... I mean, my backstory is somebody who also sought recognition and approval from others and lived or died on that. Basically, mm. if it was positive, I got to feel good about myself. And if it was negative, I didn't, regardless of my actual behavior and how well it aligned yeah. with principles or anything. Uh, but the system to replace that was, I guess, always available to me. Um, I was able to develop, mm. you know, develop a system of self-reward through what I call core values, living by principles that I believe are right and nobody has to agree with me. Um, but approval from others is like next best thing if you just don't have that system available. But um, <laughs> yeah. puts your uh, your confidence in the hands of other people's reactions, right? Like in the case you mentioned, yeah. the person, say, being uh, worried that, you know, you've blocked their YouTube video uh mm. they might have had another reaction and i said oh you know it looks like you made a mistake there and then in which case you wouldn't have felt shame so it really depends on them you know and that's kind yeah. of horrible it, when you're taking in all the positive affirmation from people you also have taken the bad um that people give you uh you can't have just you can't like i always say that like on my social medias i can get a thousand good comments but just the one bad one is going to stick with me and feel true honestly so the weighting's different. So you give much more weight to the negative than positive in terms of feedback. The negative lasts is what I what I would say, and the positive can evaporate very quickly. Ah, uh, okay, yeah. Again, I don't know anyone for whom that's not true. Really? Yeah. Like that social media, you want to destroy someone, give them one dislike on their otherwise loved post, and you know you're going to be in their thoughts for the rest of the week. You know. Uh, Honestly.
So again, you know, I guess what would be impossible to answer for you would be trying to figure out what's the difference between you and non-narcissistic people when actually almost everything you're talking about, I can find someone with no diagnosis who has the same problems, maybe just to all this extent. Um, I guess the final thing I want to touch on is As we both aware, there are people with MPD who go, right, I'm going to do something about this. They get therapy, they do their research, they go, how do I live as harmlessly as possible, and so on. Mm. And then, of course, there are the others who don't. What are your top tips for the people who fall into the orbit of, shall we say, the unaware and much more harmful narcissist? people want mm -hmm. in terms of relationships or work connections and so on. How do people deal with someone like you when you're at your worst? I'm at my worst too. I wouldn't advise anybody when I'm at the worst. No, um, <laughs> no um, that's a good question because, you know, like I would say, especially nowadays, because, you know, who's going to, you go online, who's going to think they're a narcissist because they're looking at that. It's going to prevent a lot of people from getting to therapy. Um, I would, my biggest advice for anybody is strong and very clear boundaries. Um, a lot of people with personality disorders struggle with recognizing where boundaries begin and end, right? You can kind of see that in my own cognition of like the boundaries between myself and other people's opinions on me are blurred. Um, and they, and these people can be very domineering. People have told me all the time, uh, that they would lose themselves in me, so to speak which I still, I don't understand that at all, if I'm being honest. Um, and you have to be able to be a, and like narcissists will respect you for this, for being a strong person. Um, they If you're, and I say strong and not uh, domineering, right? If you, if you're like a little bit, if you um, are able to hold your ground, then it's like, okay, I can respect that. If you're, I don't respect people who just bow, at everything I say, but I also don't respect people who are attacking back. Uh, I despise people who are attacking back. Um, so it's uh, the only because the only real advice I have is strong boundaries and being confident in yourself and like honestly just sticking up for yourself. And I think these things can apply to most relationships that people have. <laughs> yeah, and uh, again, it's like nothing bizarre or alien coming out there. That's interesting. You're, I guess you're saying that if somebody was really self-respecting and, and held their boundaries strongly and stuff, that you would actually respect those boundaries? Or are you going to keep trying to pick away at it and work your way through? It depends how I do that. So uh, here's a good example is my my close friend, who's also a content creator, She, she who's also a narcissist. Because of our hierarchical thinking, we have to view each other in our own separate hierarchies and somewhat equal in terms of what those hierarchies are. So if you can establish yourself as somebody who is like, the more equal, the better. You can't be above because then we're going to envy and resent you. You can't be below or we won't respect you. So you have to be kind of on this middling ground. Interesting. So it's almost like provocative if someone's... Hold on, I think I've lost signal a little bit there. Just wait a second. Oh, there you go. You're back. Uh, so it's like provocative if someone's above or below you. you know, yes. Um, yeah. It's and like it, it is intolerable for somebody to be equal to me if we're on the same hierarchy. And I know that probably doesn't make that much sense. But it's like if I can view you as a respectable person in kind of your own realm more or less uh where i would be able to relate to that structure that you have going on is by far what i'm going to respect you the most interesting again that sort of sounds like you can see the signs that the person respects themselves and will hold their own ground yeah and is doing what they do we, that kind of thing interestingly enough uh people with cluster B personality disorders, which is the grouping that narcissistic personality disorder is in, we can actually see emotions in the eyes better than normal people can. Um, so we're going to be very sensitive to one, how you're, per, how you're, um, how you, per, well, especially with narcissists, how you perceive us. We're very like in tune to that. 
but also where you are on like the totem pole, so to speak. So we're going to be analyzing that like all the time in terms of like, oh, like where, what is the pecking order and stuff like that. Right. So if you can see that somebody's feeling nervous about the company they're in, you're going to see them as lower on the pecking, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Yeah. Know, they're going to or see like, intimidated by you personally and so on. Yes. Yes. And then once you see that, it's kind of, it's, it's like, well, I know where you are. You're, you're beneath. <laughs> so what would you need to, you know, that's one of the things I don't quite understand. I'm sure you get it fully, you and your friend, this idea of mm. equal on the hierarchy. So what do you need to see in somebody else that gives that uh, status to them? So there's so many, yeah, this is, it gets complicated because there's so many types of hierarchies um, and it's whatever one I'm viewing as the most important at the time, right? Uh, there's a hierarchy of intelligence, of attractiveness, of social connectedness, of who's the most charming, gargarious, whatever. Um, and whichever one I find most central to my personality, to whatever I'm doing at the time, is the one where I am most focused on. Um, and I completely forgot the question. I'm sorry, what'd you say? No, yeah. <laughs> I have ADHD too. <laughs> Very good. You got a whole bag of tricks, eh? Um, no, this is good. This is basically what I'm asking is how do you decide what the hierarchy is? Yes. So you have a preference um, at the time that's what just arbitrary. Yeah. It just depends how you like, feel. It's basically like when I'm interacting with people who like, let's say like influencers in quotes or content creators and stuff like that, I'm going to be viewing it like maybe in terms of followers or their, where I view them like in relation to their specific niche and stuff like that. If I'm at a party, I'm going to be looking for the guy who is like talking to everybody, being super friendly and super popular. Um, or if I'm in a work setting, it's going, and the, the social connectedness also plays an term there, but also performance. Um, if it's in, I don't know, uh, those are the only two examples that like actively come to mind, like social situations and work situations. I bet there's some for family situations too, but my, you don't get personality disorder by having a pleasant family. So like, I don't really have a good reference point there. Yeah. I got so much more I got to ask you. I think we'll have to have another conversation at some point. Um, I'd be happy to. Yeah. But no, this is a good, this is a good, uh, intro. I imagine like the person listening to this is someone who's heard that word narcissist thrown around. They have all the classic kind of misleading connotations with that word and not once in their yeah. lives have they heard somebody who actually uh, fits the label talk about what that actually yeah. means as an experience. And what stands out to me mostly is just how relatable your experience is and not just because I'm somewhere on that spectrum myself. Uh, but right because I work with people who would consider themselves to be completely on the other side of that spectrum. And yet I'm just hearing the same shit that they do, just different strategy, different method, same yeah. goals, same problems. You're definitely not the only person or you and the other MPDs are definitely, definitely not the only people to feel empty or to be terrified that that is the feeling underneath the self. Yeah. Very few people, you know, a lot of people who give themselves a very strong identity, I think, are fighting against the void. They just want to put themselves yeah. something between themselves and the emptiness. Um, whereas you, for better or worse, just don't have the ability to close that gate. You have to look into the void. I don't want to get too. Yeah, yeah. unfortunately. <laughs> well, like I said, uh, maybe in our next conversation, we can focus more on the strengths and potential as well like uh, you somebody who can face the void because you have no choice i mean is there some good that can come of that um but we'll start yeah we'll wrap it up there and uh let's just end it by you telling us a bit more about what you do and where people can find your work and so on great so um my name is jacob skidmore and i run a lot of social media platforms called the nameless narcissist which never gets never feels quite right given that people know my name nowadays but i my main thing is i do um videos on my youtube i try to talk about some research that i read and also my personal experience and just my journey in general of trying to recover from narcissistic personality disorder 
I I'm also on TikTok and technically Twitter, but nobody follows me there and Instagram. So just type in the nameless narcissist. I've also spoken at uh, conferences. I've been on a couple of news articles. So just type in the nameless narcissist and you will find everything related to me. <laughs> I'll be sure to include links to all that stuff as well, wherever this is posted. Uh, well, Jacob, I, I'm very sure that uh, I want to talk to you more and um, I feel like we've only just started, but uh, it's a lot to process and uh, yeah, it's one of those conversations I have where I learn a lot, which is really cool. Uh, right. So I'm glad. It. Yeah. It's I, what I do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, one of the things that uh, I trust in myself is my radar for honesty and I got a lot of honesty from you today. Um, and I know that that's actually an effort you have to put in uh maybe more so than others or something you've had to learn and go against your previous programming or methodology yeah, perhaps. that's for sure <laughs> yeah um but i i you know my whole thing is honesty and i'm sure that it will benefit you if even if we looked at it as transactional benefit yes uh, having a reputation as an honest guy and being trustworthy generally gets better rewards than the opposite Mm-hmm. took a long time to learn that <laughs> yeah yeah me too man me too I'll, I'll yeah. for most of my life um so thank you so much for your time and for sharing with us and uh i'm sure we'll hear more from you soon great thank you so much this is brojo online masculinity confidence and integrity